be bold and be brave and just go for it. As photographers, we are always looking for powerful images that, that will hold time in place, that will draw people in and symbolize something universal, something shared, something emotional. Everybody needs to see what's going on everywhere. Pictures just stand out. This is how we remember. Insights, kits, and the conversations that matter with the world's leading photographers and filmmakers in Shutter Stories. Hello and welcome to Shutter Stories. I am your host, Lucy Hedges. Now, you've all probably heard the term storm chasers before, which basically refers to those incredibly brave and intrepid individuals and photographers who from tornadoes and lightning to hurricanes, capture mother nature at its most charged and track some of the world's most extreme weather patterns by jumping in their cars to follow and get as close as is physically possible while also realising when it's time to get out of there for the sake of their own safety and of course, returning back with incredible jaw-dropping images. Now, anyone who's seen The Wizard of Oz knows that an oncoming tornado is nothing to trifle with. So what draws storm chasers to take part in such a potentially dangerous activity? Well, in this episode, we are going to find out. <laughs> now, I've seen the film Twister. It's been a few years, but, you know, Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton's characters essentially drive towards storms. Now, personally, I'd be hopping in my car and flooring it in the opposite direction. But today's guest, Camille Seaman, is the kind of photographer who isn't afraid to head towards the heart of a storm. Camille also happens to be an award-winning American photographer and TED speaker, and she's now based in Ireland. Her photographic project, The Big Cloud, found her chasing down supercells, which I believe are enormous storms that can stretch to more than 50 miles. So on that note, I'd like to welcome Camille to the show. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to talking to you. First of all, how are you? I'm good. Good. All right. So from the off, I'm not going to lie, Camille, I am in total awe of you and your intrepid storm chasing adventures and the fact that you deliberately pursue storms. You go out of your way to pursue storms. So you're a lot braver than me. Um, so first off, I've got to know, when did you become aware of storm chasing photography? That's a good question. I mean, I think uh, I had seen the work of photographers like Tim Samaras in National Geographic, but I was still it was still sort of on the peripheral of my hmm, that looks interesting. And of course, you know, like so many people, I saw the film Twister when it came out, and 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 I thought hmm, that's interesting. But it, again, it wasn't like oh, I want to do that. Uh, I think it really wasn't until I watched the storm chasing show on the Nat Geo channel. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that was around 2008. And my daughter, it was my daughter who said, Mom, you should do that. No way. You know, I, I just I just thought, wow, that that suddenly I was aware of, of the light of it. Uh, and the incredible colors. And, and I yeah. thought, hmm, that looks really, really interesting. And also, I should say, I, I was frustrated just looking at the TV because I wanted them to turn the, the camera in, in, in the direction that I wanted to see. But, I, you know, like, so I'm kind of like trying to look sideways into the TV. And, yeah. And so when it gets to that point, you just have to go see for yourself. Yeah. So basically what you're saying, Camille, a comment from your daughter a simple comment is the reason why you followed this new career path and started 
chasing storms. Pretty much. Wow. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> that's brilliant. I imagine what would have happened had she have not said that comment. That's brilliant. Um, so this, you know, this photographic process, it's, it's, you know, it's fair to say it's not simple and it's not safe really for, and it's far from a conventional career. So what is it that appealed to you about this genre? That's a good question. I think I had spent so much time in the polar regions and I was really curious about this idea that, you know, if we lose ice at the, at the caps, mm. at their poles, that it would affect our weather in the temperate zones and that we'd have more storms. And so I wanted to see, well, what, what, what do these storms look like? And I, I personally, I don't know if you know this, but I was named for Hurricane Camille, no. uh, which was, uh, uh, you know, it was sort of like the Katrina of the 60s. I was born in 69. And, uh, so like I had, I had this awareness of the power of weather, you know, even, even in my own name. And so going to document this weather was just a, like a furthering of my interest in what are we, what are we doing to our planet? Yeah. So based on your, your name and your daughter's comment, I feel like this is meant to be, this is written for you. <laughs> Well, I, I do tell people now, be really careful what you name your children. <laughs> because you just, I mean, it, there's there's something, there's always something in a name. And, and I, I always ask a lot of people, you know, what did your name mean? And it's amazing how many people don't know what their name yeah, means. Yeah. Well, my name means a giver of light. I know that much. Which is amazing. <laughs> I like to think I'm a light giver, you know, shining light along the way. Um, so what can you tell us about the very first time doing it, your very first storm chase. How did it go? How are you feeling? Yeah, so I was vacuuming my living room. My daughter was watching storm chasers on TV and that's when she saw me just stop. I turned off the vacuum and I was literally staring sideways into the TV. And my eight-year-old daughter at the time, she said, mom, you should do that. And her dad came in and said, well, why don't you go Google it? So during a commercial, I Googled storm chasing <laughs> and this whole world appeared to me that I didn't know anything about like 30 seconds before. Yeah. And when you Google storm chasing, you'll see that there are many companies that offer storm chasing tours. Mm -hmm. And basically what you do is you pay them uh, and they are professional meteorologists or professional storm chasers. And they will take you for a week-long trip into this area, usually anywhere from uh, the border of Texas and Mexico, mm -hmm. all the way up to the border of Canada and North Dakota. Uh, so it's a huge range. And then, I mean, you can travel as far east as Iowa and as far west as Colorado, usually, or New Mexico. So it's a big area called the Great Plains. And um, so I'm looking through these sites and this one site really stood out to me. And it stood out to me because it had like thunder sounds and lightning flashes across the screen. Yeah. I mean, it was super nerdy. <laughs> and and I, I, I recognize passion when I see it. Yeah. And I was like, I want to go with this guy. Yeah. And unfortunately, all of his trips for this was back in 2008. All of his trips were full. And so I just sent him an email and I said, please let me know if anyone cancels because I would love to do this. Mm -hmm. And less than an hour later, this, I mean, this all happened in one day, less wow. than one hour after me sending that email, he emailed back and said, I had one space come open. Can you be here in three days? 
So within three days of my daughter saying, you should do that, I was doing it. And I really wasn't prepared. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Wow, you really don't waste any time, do you? (laughs) Well, I am raised Indigenous American. My tribe is Shinnecock. And my Mm. grandfather always told me, he was like, if a door opens, walk through it, even if it's not something you had planned. Like you you have to go through these doors that open. Basically say yes. Yeah. And uh, so I said yes to this. And then there I was in this particular time, it was Oklahoma. Uh, We got picked up in Oklahoma City. And it was very much like Twister in as much as it's a definite like ragtag bunch of uh, anywhere from like social misfits to nerds to science people to arts and so you have this motley crew who are all drawn to the power and beauty of these storms for different Mm. reasons yeah yeah and when you were on your very first storm chase you know you said you're with this random bunch of people talk talk to me what it was like how were you feeling were you nervous excited your adrenaline must have been pumping talk me through the fact that your emotions well, I, I honestly, I had no idea what to expect. I mean, I knew it wasn't going to be like Twister where we were going to see a like hundred tornadoes in a day and, you know, see cows flying and thing. I was hoping it wasn't going to be that much drama. But what was really, really fascinating to me was how, how steeped in science it was. Like we were relying on a lot of data. And without this data and also the ability to uh, have live streaming Wi-Fi to our car so that we could see actual Doppler radar of where we were going, what it looked like, mm-hmm. laid over a GPS map. So that wow. that's what makes it safe. I know people who have chased before there was this technology, and that is incredibly dangerous yeah, because if you're really quite blind. Mm. Wow. So the technology is the utmost importance to these storm chases. It is, it, you know, um, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't recommend anyone storm chase on their own anyway. Yeah, I course. do think if you're going to do this, go with a professional. And then, and then what inevitably ends up happening is you sort of fall into your own smaller groups and you have experience and then you, then you can chase as a smaller group, but it, it's never a good idea to be alone doing this. Uh, I mean, I, it's not even talking about you know tornadoes, but but uh, getting stuck in a ditch on a muddy road and then getting pummeled by hail or you know in an accident. It, you just don't want to be alone to do this. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so when you started off, did you need any mentoring? And if so, who did you work with? Yeah, mentoring. That's a, an interesting idea. I I usually tend to just jump in the deep end and see what happens. And in in this case, like uh it I had there was no one else on the trip that was particularly interested in photography. Mm-hmm. And and so I had to figure out pretty quickly what was gonna work and what didn't work. That first trip I learned a lot. Uh I and in fact on that first trip I had actually brought with me film cameras which which didn't work. Uh, the film speed just wasn't fast enough. There's no time to set up a tripod. And and so I quickly started to rely on my, I had a Canon 5D. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then I quickly learned like this, these are big clouds. 
and it, it, it was like that that line from Jaws, you're going to need a bigger boat. Well, I was going to need a wider lens. <laughs> so that first trip, I, I didn't have, I think the widest I had was like a 24 millimeter. And so um, I was really frustrated because you couldn't really fit this cloud in the, the frame. Mm-hmm. So in the, I guess at the beginning, you were putting the feelers out there. Like you said, you didn't have anyone to kind of show you the ropes photographically what to do. So you were, you were try, trial and testing it, basically. Pretty much. And, you know, when you're in situations like this, one of the, one of the things that our, our tour leader said, his name was Todd, uh, he said, I will only say it once. When I say get in the car, that's it. It's not take another photo and get in the car. It means get in the car now because I'm not going to die or be injured because you needed to make another photo. Definitely. Uh, so, you know, that that was the parameters that I was working in. Wow. <laughs> you know, be ready to get in the car at any second. So tripods were out of the question. Yeah. And, you know, there's wind blowing and there is uh, lightning happening and you, you know, you have to just be hyper aware. And so it's not a situation where you want to have your head buried in a camera for very long. You want to be in the viewfinder, out the viewfinder, yeah. checking your surroundings in the viewfinder, you know? And of course, along, along with that, you, you're going to need some kit that you can rely on that you don't really need to spend too much time fiddling around with settings. You just want to basically hit that shutter button and do what it needs to do. You want to be able to rely on the kit. Is it fair to Absolutely. say that? And, you know, you learn pretty quickly. You do not want to uh, have to worry about dust getting on the sensor or uh, water getting in the camera. Like your gear needs to be solid. Yeah. And are there any, let's talk about the misconceptions around storm chasing. Are there, are there any misconceptions <laughs> that you come across? <laughs> Based on your laugh, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> oh my God, there are so many. You know, so many people think uh, it, it, it's like a Hollywood movie where it's just all, dr you know, drama and and action. And, and the reality is 98% of it is very long hours in the car driving on very flat roads for, you know, literally hundreds of miles and bad food and bad toilets and you, you know it, it's it's not glamorous at all and we don't know where we're going to sleep at night because we we go you know we we go where the storm takes us yeah, yeah and and where we where we end up late at night I mean sometimes it's it's past one in the morning we're pulling into like this middle of nowhere town looking for a, a somewhat sensibly clean hotel motel to stay in for mm. the night and then at seven in the morning it starts all over again we're up we're looking at the data uh we're making a plan we're, we're really trying to say where is it going to uh be the most possibility of a uh tornado or even a supercell by a certain hour of the day and and then how many hours is it going to take us to drive there wow so after a week of you know storm chasing how do you feel at the end of this trip I imagine pretty broken by the sounds of things <laughs> well I, I will tell you <laughs> that first trip that first trip at the end of it I had had 
really like this otherworldly experience where I was like more, <laughs> you know, it was, it was like, I, I, how do I do? I want it again. It was yeah. like, you know, when you get on a amusement park ride and you're like, Oh my God, that was amazing. Let's do it again. And so I, I said, I said to him, I said, uh, please let me know if anybody else cancels. And he said, well, do you know how to drive? And it just so happened I have a, a commercial license. I can drive up to 15 passengers. And he mm. said, you're hired. <laughs> so on the spot, after my first week, I was then being paid to do this. I, I will say it was at least a couple of years before I actually saw my first tornado. And, and, and what I came to realize for me personally was, and that's why my work is called The Big Cloud, is I actually thought the real beauty was in these these things called supercells that mm. produce the tornadoes. And and it turns out that supercells, of all the supercells that happen, only 2% will produce a tornado. So, wow. so it's a very specific set of circumstances and and you know, you you need these certain ingredients in order for there to be a tornado. Mm -hmm. And and we want once or twice we did something called punching the core. And punching the core basically means you are going through the heart of darkness of the supercell. And it is, I mean, these, you can imagine these things can be up to 50 miles wide. Oh my God, it sounds terrifying. And when you're going through the core of that, it is just black. It is darkness. There is no light in there at all. It's just wind and rain and things blowing, dirt, dust everywhere, and hail falling. I mean, it, it is, is not anywhere that you can literally safely get out and make a photo. And so as a photographer, I have no need to go in there. And, and with the, the way that most supercells operate and the way that tornadoes are generated, you need to be actually just outside of this supercell, which allows you to see the structure. It allows you to see something called the wall cloud. And then from this wall cloud, if you, you continually uh, keep in the right pocket, you, you will potentially see this tornado happen. Mm. It's not like uh, tornadoes will just randomly appear. You, 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 when you know the science, you kind of know where to look for them or yeah, where they will yeah. most likely form. I was going to say, how long did it take you to kind of get a better understanding of the data and what you need to do in order to, not the data, but, you know, the science, the clouds and, you know, the elements. How long did it take you to fully understand what it is you're looking for? I would say because because it's so full on, I mean, and really you are, you, you throw yourself in the deep end uh, and it is so data reliant. And so many of the people you chase with are these sort of weathered math nerds who are talking about, you know, um, the dew points and the, the, the wind speeds at certain elevations and moist, you know, it, it, it's, it, it is so quick. I would say within two weeks, I understood what I was looking at when they would show me on the computer screen. Yeah where we should potentially go and and what we where we why you wouldn't go this other place mm -hmm. and um there are websites there are so many tools for example and this is free uh, NOAA, which is the national ocean and uh atmosphere administration in the u.s noah's website has 
tons of data every day. And they every day will say, here's a high chance of tornadic activity or supercells. And, and so you can start to sort of look in that region to see where you should go. I mean, this, these are huge areas, but uh, with that data, you're m- much more likely to place yourself in a better position. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to ask, actually, you know, you've, you kind of, you're kind of self-taught when it comes to taking photographs in these kind of crazy conditions. Did you find yourself sharing your photographic expertise with other people that would come along along the way over the years? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I, I do lead storm chasing photo workshops. Like people can oh, nice. say, I want, I want to go with her, her and, uh, and, and I will, I will say to them, you know, in that morning debrief, when we're looking at all the data, uh, I go over with them how they want to position themselves and what they're looking for and, and, uh, what makes a good image. Like, for example, when you're photographing clouds, I learned pretty quickly that first week that you need some horizon all the time. Like you need something that will help to show you where you are. Mm-hmm. If you just make an image of the sky, you have no orientation. Uh, so so just a simple thing like that, uh, like figure out how to put a horizon in there uh, so that so that you, you give a sense of place and scale. Mm-hmm. Um, those are kinds of things I like to share. And, and then, of course, just camera settings. Like c- clouds are pretty forgiving because, because they are moving and they're morphing. Sharpness isn't as important as it, as it needs to be in other situations. And sometimes having that motion can really give a sense of the urgency or menace of of the moment so i i try to get people to play as much as they can safely in mm-hmm. in these areas and and not just try and make pictures that they they've seen already yeah well exactly it's about people finding their own their own niche their own finding their feet and finding what works for them because what works for one photographer isn't necessarily going to work for another one absolutely and and even more than that you know uh there are, there are no two clouds that are alike. Yeah. And and even though I'll be standing next to 10 people, each one of us is going to have an, a different image. So so I think it's very important to figure out as a photographer in that place, in that environment photographing these storms, what is it that is drawing you to photograph this? Mm. What is it that is moving you emotionally? What is it that deserves and demands to be recorded. One of, one of the things that so many beginning or amateur photographers' mistakes are they try and replicate images they've seen. And the reality is the, the value and worth is to really figure out what is it they are uniquely seeing. Yeah. So what do you think it takes to be a great storm chaser? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my first thing was a strong bladder, <laughs> but, uh, no, seriously, I think you have to have patience. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like a meditation. You have to be in the moment and you cannot, uh, have expectations because if you have expectations, you will be disappointed. Yeah. But, you know, you, you must also be prepared 
you know, it would be awful if in in that moment you're messing around with your camera set, settings instead of just capturing that image that you have right in front of you. I can't tell you how many people come on trips with brand new cameras that they've never used before. And it's like, uh, error. be like, really be prepared. Know your camera. Yeah. Know yourself. And, and I think, uh, really find, a a group of people that you feel safe and that you feel you can trust literally with your life. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if you end up with somebody who's like, no, we're, I want to go in and we're going to go this way. And, you know, it, the bad things can happen. Yeah. Or, you know, we're saying get to the car and they're saying one more, one more. You don't want people like that in your group. Exactly. Exactly. So based on your expertise, you know, you're really well versed in this area. What are the best parts of the world for storm chasing? Well, for me personally, I think I would only really be interested in chasing in the Great Plains of the United States. I know that you can you can storm chase in Australia. There's beautiful storms there. Uh, but there's not a great road network. And okay. a lot of people don't know this, but Bangladesh actually has the most tornadic activity on the planet, but I definitely wouldn't chase there just because of uh, lack of infrastructure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, I think that United States, even even though a lot of people don't know this, a lot of, of roads in that Great Plains area it's very rural, and many of those roads are still unpaved. So uh, you you have to keep that in mind when you're, you know, it's not like you're going to have a nice smooth road everywhere you go. And you remember, when it when it's a storm, there potentially could be rain, which means mud, which means you get stuck, and oh. you may not want to get stuck. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't want to uh, get stuck. So, so things like that. But no, the, I think the U.S. is is wonderful. And sometimes we would even bring our passport because the way that storm chasing season works in the United States is uh, we 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 call tornado season like the first of May to the last day of of July. Mm-hmm. And uh, so from the first of May, we're very far south. We're down in, in Texas. And and that's because that's where all the moist air is coming into the Gulf. And that's where the jet stream is dipping down from the Pacific Northwest. So that's where the action is. Yeah. I personally will not chase further east of Texas. Like I won't do uh, Louisiana or Mississippi or any of those places because there's just too many trees. Yeah. And when there's a lot of trees, it, it's also a, a lot less visibility. It's, 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 so you don't know, it could be literally coming in the trees right next to you and you wouldn't yeah. know. Uh, that means there's more debris that could uh, become a projectile. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, photographically speaking, it's, it's, it's much harder to, to photograph that beautiful structure. And, and so what's wonderful about chasing from, you know, the panhandle of Texas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, South Dakota is actually my very favorite place to, to be in. And, and we're in South Dakota usually by June and then July, sometimes North Dakota. And we'll bring our passports because you never know. We might end up in Saskatchewan yeah. or, or, or up in Canada. So those storms do continue up through the Canadian prairie, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, my favorite spots are definitely in the United States. Yeah, yeah. So based on what you just said, I guess there is, 
you know, storm chasing in different parts of the world based on infrastructure or the road structure, the experience can be quite drastically different. Like you say, the trees, the debris. So it just depends where you are in the world as to what kind of storm chasing experience you're going to get. Yeah, I mean, you know, there is no place on the planet that is exempt from tornadic activity. And I think that surprises a lot of people. Like I know, for example, there have been tornadoes in Birmingham in the UK and Italy gets quite a few. Mm -hmm. And so so it's not like they don't happen. I, I, I just think that the most consistent place, the most reliable place to chase and probably the safest place mm, relatively yeah. is in the United States Great Plains. Okay. And and I will say that we have had guests uh, on tours literally from all over the planet. They come from as far as Brazil and Australia, wow. uh, Netherlands, UK. I've had, I had a weatherman from Wales once. Um, it was really fascinating to have all these people from all over the planet coming to this one area in the United States to experience this phenomena. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. I love that. I, um, and what's what's the craziest day you've had on the job? What's the most insane or intense storm that you've chased or witnessed? Whew, you know, um, the one the one that really was remarkable on so many levels and it's still in my mind is, is, uh, it's called, it was called El Reno. And when, when you're, when you're a chaser, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's this thing where if you just said El Reno, people would know, oh, that was, uh, 2013. Yeah. And, um, and El Reno was to date, the widest recorded tornado in history. It was, it was over 2.2 miles wide. And unfortunately, I think about 13 people lost their lives and many of them were storm chasers. And unfortunately, one of them was Tim Samaris and his son. Um, so you, it, it was, it was a day and I, I tried to teach people I'm with that to share, like, if something doesn't feel right, say something. Yeah. Uh, like, trust that feeling. And and it was really interesting because even that morning, like, something felt off. Something felt like it was, it was coming. And that entire day, it was like a, a never-ending day because uh, we ended up really running away from Oklahoma City area for our lives, trying to find a safe place because there was flooding, there was so much damage. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah, that that we end we ended up driving all night just to get to a, a place of safety. Uh, so it was really quite an event, and yet at the same time, it was so stunningly beautiful. So some of those images from that particular storm, uh, it, it, that was the only time my daughter actually ever texted me and said, mom, are you okay? Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of like, oh, 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 you know, like I have a child, <laughs> you know, like, what am I doing? Yeah. Real reality just kicked in a little bit exactly, for you, right? Exactly. So that one really stands yeah. out in my mind. Uh, and then um, I, yeah, I've had other instances where I I've just stood in awe just knowing how lucky and privileged I was to stand before this incredibly powerful thing and and just witness and be humbled. 
I'm not a religious person, but that was bordering on a religious experience. It was really just so awe-inspiring. Yeah. And and that particular storm I'm talking about, if you if you look at my pictures, there's a group of images called the Lovely Monster. And that is that storm. And I remember we were standing, I was up to my waist in wheat fields, this beautiful wheat, and you know, the sound of wheat in the wind, this little, this, you know, this beautiful, almost like wind chime sound of the wheat chattering against itself. And, yeah. and I'm looking at this thing and I turned to our, our leader, his name was um, Bill. And he, I asked, I said, are we okay here? Because I could see it was coming right for yeah. us. And he said, oh yeah. He said, and he just threw out some like super nerdy storm. He was like, oh, it's just an, an LP mesocyclone, no problem. <laughs> and, and LP means low precipitation. Okay. So, so we literally let this storm come right over our heads. Uh -huh. It was moving at about 20 miles an hour. And as it came over our heads, it was literally like a spaceship. Wow. It was like the mothership coming over us. And and it was one of the few times in my entire career as a photographer where I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, I didn't know where to point the camera. I didn't know. I Honestly, I just didn't know what to do. Yeah. I was just so overwhelmed. Oh, my God, I can imagine. I feel overwhelmed just thinking about it. And I wasn't even there. <laughs> so you mentioned, you know, your project, The Big Storm, which is all about supercells. And, you know, you've touched on that. It's so incredibly fascinating. I definitely learned something from you today um but you published a book about it um a few years back didn't you so how was that received talk to me about that yeah um i i feel so lucky that that uh publishers want to publish these images and when that book came out i was very excited it's done very well and i would love to do more uh, that was that was just a small sample of of a, a short period of chasing and and of course uh I, it's interesting because when people look at my images and that book is one of those cases, they look at it and they go, oh, it's so scary, so terrifying. And and it's interesting because even in all of my years of chasing, I've never once felt scared. I, I, I've never felt terrified. I've, I've always been alert and aware, mm -hmm. but I would never say I was frightened I guess that's not the, you can't really have that stance when you're there. You've got so much going on in your mind, you know, safety, photography, the data, interpreting everything. So you have to really be vigilant. So I don't think there's actually any room to be scared. That That's probably true. And and so it's fascinating to me when people look at the images and they go, oh, that's, uh, that's terrifying. And, and I say, I, I say, it's funny because I never, I never had that experience with them. So I, I, I try to imagine what, it would be like to look at s someone handing me images and saying, look where I just was. <laughs> so um, it's fascinating. Yeah. I think yeah. I always say like, if you have, if you have true respect, real respect for nature and your surroundings and life on this planet, if you really respect it, there's no need to fear because with that respect, you, you know how you should behave. Uh, you, for example, like with a polar bear, you have to respect that that's a polar bear. You can't just yeah. walk up to it and feel like you're going to pet it. And it's the same with storm chasing. You have to respect. You, I, I mean, you even have to respect hail 
because hail can be like anywhere from pebble sized all the way up to grapefruit sized. Yeah. And that will definitely do some damage. So, so respect. It's all about real respect. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, your first trip, your first chase, you know, you wasn't that prepared because of your camera kit. You know, these storms are so vast and so wide. They can be, you know, up to 50 miles wide, right? So when you're, when you're, you're, you're focusing and shooting, what, how do you decide what to, what to point your camera at? What, what kind of kits, what kind of kit are you bringing with you? What are the lenses? Talk me through that. So, uh, Weather seal is important to me. So I use Canon 5D or uh, more recently a 1DX. Uh, so big DSLRs. I would, I, I'm now looking forward to taking the Canon R5 uh, yeah. into that kind of situation and doing mirrorless because I, I, I know the benefits of not having that uh, shutter movement because again, this is handheld. There's no time to set up a tripod. Yeah. And and so uh, when I was using the DSLRs, um, I, I would say I carry three lenses with me. One is a 21 millimeter. Mm-hmm. The other is a 24 millimeter. Those are prime. And then I carry with me a 100 to 400 millimeter 2.8 um, and, and that's because sometimes there is uh, a tornado, but you, there's no way you want to be, you know, using a wide angle <laughs> lens with that. You want to be yeah. able to zoom for, for that one. Yeah. And, um, and so when I'm using these, these, uh, DSLRs where there is shutter movement and, and there, a lot of people don't understand it's dark. These, it's not a lot of light in this situation. So, Sometimes you're you're using the lens wide open, and um, with the handheld, and you don't want a lot of noise. So yeah, uh, you really have to stabilize yourself. Sometimes that means leaning against the vehicle. Sometimes it means like getting down on one knee, uh, or or doing what I call the Tai Chi stance, where you have soft knees and you kind of tuck your elbows into your sides like you're really stabilizing and then I use (laughs) uh, yeah and then I use you know the same thing that people who uh, use rifles do where they where they inhale focus exhale press the shutter yeah so um so so that's stabilizing again um but you know maybe a monopod might be better for some people who just can't do that. I should also mm-hmm. say that I, mm-hmm. I, I don't drink coffee. So I, I have very steady, steady hands just to begin with. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and that does make a difference. Yeah, of course, of course. And do you shoot just, um, are you doing stills, just stills, or do you do a bit of video as well? When I first began, it was uh, just stills. And, and, and then I realized like, some of the things need to be filmed like yeah. vid- video is a different creature and and so i played with that but it's very challenging when you already are limited with your time sometimes you only have minutes and it's get in the car because yeah. you have to keep moving with the storm it's not like it's yeah. a static thing that you can stand in front of sometimes we're lucky and it doesn't move very fast and you can stay there for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes but that's pretty rare more like it's a minute out 
get back in the car, a minute out, get back. You know what I mean? And so you're in and out of the vehicle. You need to constantly be checking that you didn't like bump uh, your autofocus off or that the settings, when you get back in the car, you're just constantly rechecking, making sure there's no water spots on the lens or dust on the sensor. And if you're Mm -hmm. changing lenses, things like that. So um, it's not as static it's really, it's chasing. It's it's not, mm. you know, you just stand in front of a cloud and make images. And and so the equipment needs to be constantly checked. Yeah. And you need to be ready. And so I, I would always carry with me not just the camera with these three lenses, but I would make sure that I had a, what do they call it? A super absorbent microfiber towel so that it could mm-hmm. dry off my gear in and out of the car. Otherwise, it's fogging up because, again, you're getting in and out of a car. There's temperature changes between the air condition of the car and the heat of outside. Uh, you need to constantly be aware and checking those things. And then um, I try and keep them in a bag where everything is easy to pull in and out. You don't, you don't want to have a situation where you're losing minutes or seconds pulling stuff in and out of a bag. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then beat yourself up up later because you wasted time and missed a moment because you're fiddling with the zipper of a bag or something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and what what sort of um, safety precautions do you need to take? Uh, I imagine uh, quite a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, I would, I would say first and for- foremost, make sure you read the reviews of whoever you're chasing with. Like, don't, mm. don't just go with some guys like, oh, I can give you a bargain. Uh, yeah. Make sure that people have responded, that they feel safe and that it was uh, well-informed. And, and you don't want to be with some cowboy out there. You, you oh, know, my gosh, it, absolutely. It, it's serious. Uh, so that's the most important thing. Well, you're putting your life in someone's hands, essentially. You need someone who is going to do things to the letter, is above board and is incredibly serious and professional about what they do I think like, that's a given when, yeah. it, when it comes to something like this absolutely so that's the first and foremost safety and then uh second safety I I would definitely bring things that make you comfortable like uh, a proper raincoat uh but you it's very warm when you're chasing it's summer it can be you know in Fahrenheit 100 degrees in Celsius 40 whoa so um you need a light but effective rain jacket. You need good sun protection, which sounds ironic because you're storm chasing, but <laughs> it's very hot and sunny out there. So you yes. want to make sure you have sunscreen, protect your skin, protect your eyes, um, protect your camera. Uh, yeah, uh, th- those are, I think that's the safety area. Yeah. Now, storm chasing, you know, it's not just about this kind of meteorological marvel. You know, people's lives are at risk. And obviously, you know, these storms can have terrible consequences for the people that are living in its path. So were you ever worried about what people might think about your work? And have you had any criticism? Oh, yes. So I'm so glad you brought that up because because uh, from the beginning, I knew that I did not want to be on some like disaster tourist you know, tour. I yeah. I wanted to be very empathetic and compassionate, and and actually, storm chasing uh, does have the impact where where you 
it, 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 it at least informed me that these people are living in this area with the constant threat. This, it's, it's not ever a matter of if, but when those yeah. sirens are going to go off. And, and I uh. can tell you, one night we were in a town and the sirens went off and, and the hair literally just stands up. I mean, it's black. It's so dark and you'd, you don't know. That really was like a twister moment. Like, is it coming this way? What do you do? I remember asking when we went into one motel that looked pretty paper thin. Let me put it that way. And uh, I said to our leader, I said, what do we do if the sirens go off? And he said, take yeah. the mattress and go in the bathroom and get in the bathtub and put the mattress over you. Like that, that was, that's, that was something you, you want to know, you want, you want to know what's the plan. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, you never want to execute um, the plan, but you want to know the plan. <laughs> exactly. And many times because the vehicles that we use have uh, an array of antennas and different things on them that allow us to have live uh, data streaming to our laptops. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty easy to spot a storm chaser. And sometimes <laughs> yeah. when we would pull into a place, we would be received with mixed emotions. Some would, would be like, uh, is it coming this way? You know, with, with a bit of, uh, you know, they wanted to know what was going on. And, it, and in those cases, it actually is quite great because then we can clearly say to them, oh, no, it's about 400 miles east of here or whatever. We can give them information and sort of yeah. uh, give them some relief. And then in other cases, we were sort of like a bad omen for, for others. You could kind of get this sense of, of like, oh, here we go again, more storm. There you know what are. I mean? Yeah. But a lot of people don't know this, that... Without the storm chasing network, uh, all all storm chasing cars have a GPS locator if they are part mm -hmm. of this network that we are on. And this uh, uh, network, part of our mandate is to inform eyes on the ground. This is what I see. There's lightning strikes every 10 seconds or a hail of, you know, golf ball size and Without the spotter network, many of the tornado warnings would not be in as advanced as they are. So that means we're, we are the eyes on the ground for towns. We radio ahead. We push in the information. We call uh, police and emergency services and say it's mm -hmm. heading this way. We, we mm -hmm. see it on the ground. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's not like we are just out there cruising around making photos. We are also, uh, in, a, in a strange way, helping to save lives. Yeah, yeah, your work is incredibly meaningful. So would you argue then that there's an element of environmental activism in storm chasing photography and storm chasing in general? <laughs> well, for for me personally, all of my my work, I I mean, I don't know why other people photograph storms. I suppose it it could be for environmental reasons. I mm -hmm. can only speak for myself and say that uh I want people to understand that our earth is incredible it's amazing and and we 
we need to honor and respect it. And these storms are just one aspect of, of this amazing aspect of our, of our planet. And so, you know, if that's environmental, I'll take it. Uh, but it's not like I'm saying, oh, look what, what you know, I, I don't want to monger fear. Yeah, of course. I want to, I want to monger beauty yeah. <laughs> and awe. <laughs> and I want people to, to understand that, you know, when you stand in the presence of this kind of power, that it, it, it's, it really is so remarkable as a, as a human being to, to witness such, such a thing. And, and at the end of it all, I mean, I walk away knowing kind of like um, Shiva, there is no creation without destruction. And part of the reason that the Great Plains are so fertile is because these storms come through and they literally uh, attach uh, positive charges to particles of soil that they suck up. So there, there literally is energy in the soil and, and that's what is helping things to grow. Do you do much uh, post-production on your images? And if so, how far can you take it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the truth is, there really isn't that much need. If you if yeah. you if you are photographing properly, uh, I have a personal rule because my joy is not playing on the computer and and messing around. My my joy is making the image, uh, and so I I I also was kind of raised to make the image in the camera, not in the computer. Yeah. So, so if you are aware of the light and you understand how to expose properly using your camera, there, a simple curves adjustment is all I need to do on most of these images. Yeah. And I have a rule personally that if it takes me more than a minute in Photoshop, I'm not using it. Uh, I don't <laughs> like to, most of my images are not cropped. Uh, yeah. Occasionally, I'll have to slightly straighten the horizon, but really, that's about it. There's just no need because the colors and the structure is so amazing. Wow, it must be so. I've seen some of the images, but you know, if if that's generally how you work, that's you know, it just speaks volumes for the kind of experience that you're having and what you're able to capture through your lens. Because you know, these days, nearly everything is touched up in post-production you know so it's really exactly. refreshing to hear exactly. that you it's really refreshing to hear that you're you don't do that very much um and you know we were talking earlier about how some people they, they they take similar images you know they don't necessarily think outside the box so how do you make your images stand out in this increasingly crowded field i would i would say that intention is incredibly powerful and that my intention is is always to document not just what I'm seeing, but what I'm feeling. And so mm. I, I use my camera as a sort of Geiger counter. Like I'll say, I'll move with my eye to the lens. I'll move this way that way. Is this making me feel that? Or is this making me feel that? And, and so that's how I will compose is using this feeling instead of just an aesthetic. And, um, when I feel like, yes, that's what's making you feel, then I press the shutter. My images, you know, um, I want them to feel 
like they have a mood or that they are almost like a painting where it feels like they it could not be any other way. And yeah. um, it, compositionally speaking, I, I learned like I fell in love with the telephone poles, the electric poles. A lot of people would Photoshop those out. And I was like, no, they need to be in there. That's what is showing you how big or small this thing is. Um, so you've you've got an, um, quite an extensive photography career away from storm chasing. So what what are you working on at the moment? Well, with the whole pandemic thing, I've been here in Ireland for mm-hmm. a long time, and now I'm finally fully vaccinated. I'm thinking about where I will go next. But uh, my <laughs> my my life, I would say, my life's work is definitely in our polar region. So I'm looking forward to going back to, for example, Antarctica and and back to the Arctic maybe next year. Um, yeah. And yeah, ice ice is still really so. I mean, what when I'm in those environments, that it's a very similar feeling of oh wow, this is Earth. I'm on Earth. This is incredible. This is my planet. I'm standing on, yeah. and this is what we get to see. This is what we get to experience. And, you know, there aren't that many places where you get to feel that small. Yeah. And that kind of awe. And I'm also looking for a very specific type of light. I've been photographing here in Ireland, but in the winter when the light is lower and and more interesting, more dramatic yeah. maybe. So yeah. it's the light that always seems to pull me wherever I go. Yeah, and just adventure. You've got a real sense of adventure. I really love that about you. Thank you. So, you know, your daughter is the reason why you kind of ventured into this amazing career path. How does your daughter feel about your storm chasing photography and your career now? Well, now she's 21. And yeah. <laughs> and and. It was really cool. She just visited me and uh, it was amazing to see how much I've influenced her life. I have literally taken her with me all over the planet since she was two weeks old. And uh, she had been on all seven continents before she was seven. And she has that same kind of curiosity where she needs to see for herself and I think that that is probably the greatest gift I could have given her is that not just that need, but that knowing that she could, as a woman, go and and not feel like, oh, you should be uh, uh, concerned or, you know, that's not safe. Or I, I, mm-hmm. I encourage her. And she, I think, is very proud of what I do. Um, from that one moment when she texted me back, that was in 2014, I think, I think that was a, just a pause where I thought, oh, my goodness, I've got a daughter. And she and I had a conversation about it. And and we talked about, you know, potentially dying, doing what you love. And she said, you know, you have to do what makes you happy. Oh, what an incredible daughter. So encouraging. I love that. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. So for anyone listening and no doubt with their jaws on the floor throughout most of this conversation, where can listeners um, check out your work? Well, I mean, there's, of course, social media. My name, Camille Seaman, on Instagram and Facebook and my website, CamilleSeaman.com. 
Awesome. So yeah, heard it here first, guys. Make sure you go and check that out. Um, on that note, Camille, I want to just say thank you so much for sharing your incredible stories, your intrepid experiences. You definitely are a lot braver than me. Although saying that, your stories have kind of made me want to stand in the presence of a powerful storm. Uh, maybe kind of. Maybe I'll think about it. And maybe in a few years I'll give it. A, I'll give it a go. But you've definitely made it sound amazing. Um, and as ever, I just want to say to listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, make sure you tune in next time. Camille, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, take care and goodbye. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate and subscribe in the episodes listing. If you have any thoughts or feedback on today's episode or the podcast as a whole, why not reach out to us on social media? You'll find our details in the description below. We'd love to hear from you.